Hey, uh, not Elon Musk. This is um, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Ron. This is welcome to welcome back to the Vision Master podcast. This is Robert Stephen Kramer, as you may remember, Rob for short, uh, hosted by Intelliversity, of which I'm the co-founder. Really great to see you again because uh, last time we spoke, we, we talked a lot about um, your what makes you a Vision Master. Uh, maybe the master of vision masters as opposed to being an execution master and how things are going at Tesla and SpaceX and your new team member, um, Robin Denholm. And so on. What, what we're going to cover today uh, is specifically, you know, how you do it, how, how you actually uh, have made, you know, seven companies, six or seven companies successful. That can't be, that can't be coincidence. And no, and it's not about just about how smart you are, because there are a lot of smart people who have not had that kind of success, right? Right. So, um, therefore, we're look, I'm looking for what, what is it about the way you manage your management style uh, that really makes the difference in your success as a vision master? And then if other people, okay. could, if other people could emulate that, then they could be clo come closer to being a vision master. So... What do you think it really is, Elon? Not Elon. Not Elon? Well, speaking is not Elon, of course. Uh, and if you think about it, we're in the impossible business, right? I mean, going to Mars is impossible. Building uh, an electric car company that blows away all domestic competition is impossible. So we're in the impossible business. Everything we do is freaking impossible. So you can't do the impossible with average possible or acceptable management styles. So you have to set impossible goals. I think the, the media loves to call it the mission impossible management style, but I don't see any other way to do it. I mean... Well, it's, it's not unique to you, Steve Jobs, and some others, particularly him, were famous, are famous for using that very similar style. Absolutely. Right. But yet you're not the same as Steve Jobs at all. What, what makes you different, do you think? Well, I mean, I mean Steve was, uh, Steve's an awesome guy. I mean, he did a lot of really cool stuff. But I, I don't think Steve ever wanted to change the world. And uh, I, I mean, our goal isn't just changing the world. It's changing the inner part of the solar system. So... I think we're thinking bigger. We're we're making much more impactful decisions, and I think that that's both motivating uh, and also terrifying for certain people in the organization. So direct impact is a key to your style. In other words, guys like uh, Bill Gates, uh, you know, wanted to have a had a had purpose, which was to have a PC in every home and every office. Um, Steve Jobs wanted to uh, master product design is uh, incredibly uh, better than any other product and in that way make a difference. Bezos and so on want to build the biggest store, but it's not direct impact. It's indirect impact. Hopefully they have some kind of impact positively, but you're going directly, you're going directly after the direct impact. Survival of the human race. Survival of the human planet, race. Right? Yeah. So we got to have options. So that's part of, that's part of you. That's part of your management style. So how does that show up in your 
you know, directly when you, when you work with people uh, using this mission impossible management style? Well, I mean, I, I think probably the best example uh, might be if I say I want to do X and, you know, the team around me goes, man, I don't think you can do that. Uh, you know, you start to get into that inherent human uh, resistance and negativity. The only way to break through it is by saying, well, we are going to do that. And I'm giving you the job of coming up with a plan to, in fact, do that. And I'm only going to give you 14 days. So um, people tend to go away, come back and figure out the problem. Okay. And if they don't, what happens? You know, you, you, you've, you've definitely set goals that... Um, have not been achieved yet, or at least you're falling behind your own goals. Uh, right. You know, you're not, you haven't achieved 500,000 cars a year. You haven't um, done certain things uh, in SpaceX on schedule, but you're way ahead of what the world expected in all these areas, right? Well, I think that's the secret, right? I mean, if you set an impossible goal, then you might get there. But even a failure of achieving that goal is a freaking success by any other measure. Uh, the secret, I think, from a management perspective is to never let your team know that you're going to accept the 68.5% average improvement. I mean, that would be cutting off the head of the company. I mean, I mean it doesn't make any sense to me. So, you know, I so, would... So inconsistency is part of your style. Unpredictability. Absolutely. I mean, I can't be everywhere... But if people know I'm very capable of looking in one little corner of a, of a strategy, then they pay attention to the whole design. So that, that's why some people call you a nano manager, because you like, like jobs, you, um, uh, you can get involved in the color of the paint in someone's office or in the hallway, um, which would seem ridiculous. But what, what, what's, why do you do that? Specifically for what I just said, I, I want people to know that I'm paying attention to the little things. I can't pay attention to a million little things, but I can pay attention to a thousand little things, and they never know which thousand I'm going to look at, right? I mean, you know, and, and if, of course, if I tell you too much in this interview, then everybody will figure it all out, but, you know, I care about little things. I mean, it's the, it's the sum of all the little things that make up the difference that you're trying to create. So what you're trying to do by being a nano manager is not manage everything, but by set to set ridiculously high standards. Um, right. And to know that I'm looking. So it's not just setting impossible standards, ridiculously high standards, but it's actually looking into the things that make those standards happen. Okay. You, you've frequently talked about um, a 10x improvement in every area. So how, right. how, how does that relate to your style, your management style? Well, that's impossible, right? <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really isn't that complicated. You know, if you, if you sit there and you think about it, right, we're 10x is impossible. So we started out with the presumption that we're going to do the impossible. So we need an impossible management style. And by applying that kind of leverage everywhere across what we're trying to get done, that's how shit gets done. Okay. So it, it, does this, does these, uh, this impossible management style tend to infect the entire organization? 
I I certainly hope so. I mean, that's if you if you think about it, if I go to Ryan or Brian or Joe and I say I need this impossible mission done and they agree to do it, there's no way they can get it done without enforcing or implementing that same kind of a design on their entire reporting structure. So it becomes really part of the culture to do this. It is. Yes. It is the culture. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, so. Um, and yet, as we said, just because somebody misses a goal doesn't mean you necessarily let them go, but you never, they never know who. Right. And, it, yeah. and it's, it's how good of a failure they are. Right. I mean, if, for instance, I give you a goal and you say you're going to achieve it and you don't really try and you don't give it everything you've got, you might be gone. But yet somebody who doesn't meet the strategy, but learns a lot of stuff along the way, creating intrinsic value for themselves and the company. I can't afford to let that go. Well, oh, most yeah. important, I think, as I've, you've explained before, you, 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 if they didn't learn from their failure, that's an old right. saw. Learn a lot from the failure to meet that goal, then, then there's a problem, right? I yeah. mean, there is that joke, right, about I, I can't afford to let you go. I've invested too much in your failures. I mean, <laughs> right, that's what you're saying. Well, that's what you're saying. Yeah. So, uh, right. So, uh, you know, there's, there's another aspect of you which people talk a lot about, which is uh, your sense of humor at work and, um, and actually in life generally. And, you know, a little self-deprecating, just generally silly stuff. And, and yet you're, um, that doesn't make you any less of a serious, serious owner of a company. Well, you got to have serious fun, right? I mean, if if you think about it, if you just sat there and were nothing but just this lump of intensity about a particular goal, you really can't get people to rally around that kind of stuff. It feels very, it's too intense. It's too negative. Let's have a little fun. Let's put my Tesla in instead of a dummy payload and send it to Mars. Why not? I mean, in the scheme of things, Right? So have a little fun. I encourage everybody to have a little bit of fun. I mean, we have a very playful atmosphere in all of the companies. Well, one of the things that, that you do a lot is, is uh, you try to be cool in, in the world, like Cybertruck and so on. There's a lot about you that's really cool. And yet, which seems to contradict what we see about you as being someone who doesn't care what other people think. So how do you uh, reconcile the fact that you like to be cool, yet, yet when it comes to making decisions, you don't give a shit what other people think? Well, I like to do what I think is cool, right? I mean, see, I mean, I, if you do stuff that you think other people think is cool, that's not cool, right? I mean, so by, by the very definition, if you're doing stuff that you think is cool and you don't care what other people think is cool, then you're going to end up doing awesome, cool shit. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know any, any other way to, to say it, but I, I don't, the Cybertruck I did because it's an awesome idea. It's cool. I love it. You know, I mean, I didn't do it to make anybody happy I guess the, other than me. I see the difference. So when this comes, when this comes to management, uh, uh, by setting impossible goals, you're really defying consensus, right? You're defi defying what the group what the community, what the society, what your team thinks is possible. Well, so, 
You, you touched on one of my, I mean, that's obviously one of my hot buttons, right? Mm -hmm. Every cool thing that's ever happened to humans anywhere, the group said it was impossible. You know, the okay. group said we, we, we couldn't travel that far. We couldn't go to Europe from Africa. We couldn't do this. We couldn't do that. We couldn't go to the moon. We couldn't fly. We couldn't have, I mean, we couldn't count numbers that were as far out as we can count numbers. We couldn't take pie to all the places. Everything we have in technology today, the group said wasn't possible. So obviously groupthink is an anathema to you. And, uh, and, and what's most fun is to set these impossible goals and then see what happens, um, right? So well, it's more than see what happens. I mean, I, I want those goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not they're, they're pretty intentional, uh, unless I'm just screwing with somebody. How often do you do that? <laughs> Enough to keep everybody on their toes. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot, a lot of what, um, you know, um, a lot of what you do, like I said, is unconventional. And yet, um, you also, you also quite obviously did some, had some plastic surgery. Now, why, why would somebody who doesn't care what other people think, doesn't care about groups, doesn't care about groupthink or consensus and, you know, alter your appearance? What was the point of that? I did it for me. I mean, I, I didn't like do a survey to see what surgery I should get to make myself look better in the eyes of humanity. I decided I didn't like what I didn't like and I got it fixed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't know, if, you know, when you look in the mirror and you see something you don't like and you go and it bothers you and it bothers you and, you bo and it's bothering me. It's not like I'm going, well, people are making fun of that. You know, it's very much, it bothered me, so I fixed it. All right. Well, that's just, yeah, it's, I did something similar when I was much younger and, and I have never regretted it just for my own benefit. Really wasn't, I, I'm sure, I'm sure people still wonder, you know, why did he do that? But, you know, I, I, I don't regret my own decisions, right? Good. Right. That's, that's the way it ought to be. Right. And you've made, you've made mistakes, right? But um, do you ever sit around and regret them? Never. I mean, that, that's just self-indulgent bullshit. All right. I mean, you're going to make mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, you're not doing it right. I mean, you can learn and move on. There's no time to sit there and wallow in your uh, regrets. In fact, you, you've, many have observed that you, um, you run Tesla and SpaceX like a uh, Silicon Valley software firm where mistakes are counted on. It's an iterative process, right? Yeah. And... Um, Starships blow up and cars don't work at first, and you just keep iterating, iterating as fast as you possibly can, right? It, it's that short cycle that makes the difference between failure and success. Got it. All right, so this is, um, I think we're running nearly near to the end of our time period here. Uh, oh. I hope so. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah. The, 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 next, um, the next time, we're going to talk more about, you know, the women in... Um, Elon, not Elon Musk's life, since there seems to be a family resemblance between many, you know, many of the women that, that help you run these companies and your former wives. Uh, but I'm not going to get into what that family resemblance is or even trying to analyze it uh, this time. But next time, 
next time. Huh? We'll talk about the women in not Elon Musk's life and what that says about you and uh, and what other people can learn from it. So, all right. All right. Awesome. I'm certainly not looking forward to that. <laughs> that will be soon. Uh, this is uh, just signing off. This is uh, Robert Stephen Kramars with Not Elon Musk on the Vision Master podcast from Intelliversity because that is the way it will be.